Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey, everybody. David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. It has become evident that most shops can be divided into the haves, the have-nots, and the refusing to participate. Some shops have chosen to invest in factory tooling, subscriptions, and the training needed to become proficient in the different makes. Others, for whatever reason, haven't done so and may be facing obsolescence. What obstacles are these different shops facing in the near future? To answer those questions, we are joined by Chris Chesney, the Senior Director of Customer Training at Advance Auto Parts. If anyone has a pulse on what shops are facing here in the near future, it's Chris. Be forewarned, however, this is only part one of our conversation. To hear the second part, you have to be an all-access patron. So, just go to asog.site, that's A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E, and click on Become a Patron Now. And that will take you to our Patreon page. Become an all-access patron and you'll have access to our bonus content. If you haven't already, make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. Again, we're on every single one. If you're catching us on YouTube, please make sure that you subscribe to the channel. We're trying to hit a goal in subscribers and would really appreciate you hitting that subscribe button. And with all that out of the way, here we go. So one of the things that that I really kind of the first things I knew about you is I watched one of Carm's podcast uh, or listened to it and it was you talking about ASE and it was you talking about like how ASE was formed where it was kind of started and the whole goal behind it or the concept behind it and and you know I've followed you for a long time because you're really at the forefront of change in our industry and kind of guiding us and leading us in a direction. And in last week on the podcast, we had somebody on and we were talking about certification 
And where are we going from here? And by that, I mean, you know, we're hearing a, a lot of people within ASOG talking about government regulation, talking about, hey, things are going to have to change at some point. When is that change coming? What does that look like? What are your thoughts on it? Well, I think that, you know, we've been talking about this for a long time. I was, uh, I remember the podcast with Carm uh, that I shared some of those those thoughts. My my history in the industry goes back to the first ASE test cycle, and and uh, I, I went with a, a mentor of mine. I was still in high school and went with him uh, to Great Bend, Kansas, to see what this thing was all about. Just because I was going to ride with Harley somewhere, and and uh, he mentioned that it was the reason they were doing this is to keep the government out of their business. You know, at that point, that point in time, we had to prove that we knew what we were doing so that we could keep the government at bay from trying to regulate our industry. And uh, I can remember still to this day, the fear in his, his voice and his eyes at that point in time, because he as a shop owner felt threatened. And then, uh, you know, my, my tenure as a, as a tech and moved from the middle of Kansas to Colorado in the, the uh, late seventies and uh, actually started my training company in, in the early nineties and met um, Ron Weiner, the, you know, the former uh, president of ASC, a long-term president. I met his dad and his dad tried to sell me a building in downtown Denver to house my, my training organization in, so I've been immersed in ASC since the very beginning. I was ASC certified very early in my career. And, and while the goal was noble, um, back in the day, we were working on, you know, a 79 Ford pickup, uh, which might have had electronic ignition on it. And that scared the hell out of everybody. But uh, we figured it out. And you could uh, gauge somebody's knowledge base with a test and determine if they could, uh, if they had enough knowledge to read a manual or approach the diagnostic of a new technology on board a newer vehicle. Uh, fast forward to today, um, in the in the middle of that period of time, ASC was put in charge of you know expanding their their reach different systems, different technologies, uh, measuring your knowledge base on those and, and giving you a certification uh, on that knowledge. But uh, then they invested in vocational education and put standards together for vocational schools through the NATEP program, which is now ASC Education Foundation, and, and established these task lists and uh these outcomes, if you will, for uh, schools to uh, approach a student with and measure whether or not they got it. So you as shop owners could hire that person out of school and put them to work in a productive manner. And we've we've had that in place since, you know, the the mid-80s. Well, in the meantime, the car changed. Technology changed. I mean, rapidly just you guys are old enough to remember the the late 80s when you know things turned from carburation to fuel injection to obd to 
data networks to all these neural networks, et cetera. And, and we're still dealing with... Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, Shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. The same standards of education and certification uh, in our industry and expecting the same outcome, and that's insanity. Right. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's really interesting you bring that up because I, I was talking to, I think it was Fanslow last week where we, we talked about the fact that ASE right now is really a judge of base competency. And, and that all too often we see that someone is certified and we look at them as, hey, this guy can fix anything. But it's really our responsibility as shop owners to continue their education, to continue to lead them, guide them raise them up to be the technician we need them to be we can't just say well you're certified you're good to go and let them go in the bay and i think that's one of the things that shop owners you know we, we keep talking about the technician shortage and look it's a huge problem i get it and there's there's many facets of that problem there's there's uh pay there's education there's um the industry's tough right and I just I'm concerned that when we look at this and we say, hey, listen, certification can't just be the only thing that we do to judge a, a, the proficiency of a technician. But we're not doing that right. Where, where do we go from here? I know you're big about growing technicians. I know that's where your heart is. If you could say one thing to shop owners today, what would it be? Where would we go from here? Listen to Lucas. I mean, you, oh, God, you get it because trouble. You, you, <laughs> you've recognized that you have to make that investment. Uh, you have to continue to invest. And, and really, we don't have a technician shortage. We don't have a headcount issue. We have a skill issue. And it's not a knowledge, necessarily a knowledge issue either. Uh, you see, in defense of ASC, ASC was challenged with measuring a technician's knowledge around a topic or a system. And it does a decent job of that. But with the technology that we have in place today that we have are, are challenged with analyzing and solving problems within 
you have to be able to apply that knowledge. Uh, I call it turning a wrench in anger. You have to be able to, under pressure of performance, under pressure of uh, your mortgage is due under pressure that the customer's waiting in the front room under pressure of the last one I add in here like this, kick my butt. Uh, you've got to have the skills to be able to apply that. And that means education has to change in, in the way of not just teaching you uh, from the book about how a system works, but demonstrate how that system operates and how you view what normal is so that you can recognize it when you see it. Uh, but then develop different strategic approaches to solving problems using basic competencies. A, a competency is a skill that you've uh, learned, that you've put into practice, that you've exercised and, and have now uh, muscle memory, if you will, when you see it over and over again so that you become productive. But we have to be able to measure that. And ASE can't measure it. Uh, let me rephrase that. ASE doesn't want to measure it because it's outside their scope. Uh, so that there's, there's opportunity there. And there are several groups that I happen to be involved in. I was on a call today with, with one of them, and we had this conversation uh, today uh, as well around how we start um, installing and implementing uh, education in a different fashion than we have in the past in a way that transfers knowledge, demonstrates application, and observes proof of skill observes a technician demonstrating that skill. And so that's really, I, I mentioned this, I shot a video, a promotion video for our virtual classroom program a couple months ago. And I, I made the comment during the video that I hate to say COVID was a good thing, but for, for us at CTI, it opened our eyes and gave us the opportunity to implement things that we were in the middle of deploying in a way that, uh, in a way with an opportunity that shop owners and technicians would come visit and watch that allows us to, to totally remodel the way we're approaching education in the industry and getting away from the sage on the stage standing in front of a group of guys at six o'clock to 10 o'clock at night after you're tired and you know, pontificating uh, or bloviating on stage about you know GDI or some data network right. that's that's new. Instead, do that virtually and spend our time face to face whenever we can get back to that. Hopefully, in the next you know few months, uh, spend that time at the fender of the, of the vehicle, putting that knowledge into action. Exactly. And so that's where exactly. education needs to go. And then certification needs to follow that and measure that. Well, you know, and that's one of the really interesting things, especially when we first kind of met and started talking. We were actually on one of a, uh, I think it was a town hall panel, and we talked about daytime training and, and talked about where we were kind of headed with, with this. And I think the opportunity to put some training in front of our technicians that they don't have to stay up till 10 o'clock and then drive 30 minutes home 
is really, really powerful. I think it's important that we give them that opportunity. And, and you know, I've long said we need to be training during the day. I, I have gone to nighttime classes and left saying, I don't think I took anything away from that. The educator could be great, but it doesn't mean you're going to learn because you're exhausted. Um, you know, so I, I think as we talk about some of the things that we've got coming up and and I know that eventually we get into a situation where if we're not careful, we're going to see some some threats of government regulation coming back. Right. And I think the manufacturers, they get up there and they jump up and down and they say, oh, but but security and and there's some real big things and telematics and and listen, this car could drive into somebody if if somebody hacked it or, or whatever it may be. What are your thoughts on that? Where are we headed if we can't show that we can somewhat regulate our own industry? Because there's a lot of shops, especially in the independent realm that and we talk about this all the time, that maybe they shouldn't be working on vehicles, right? Yeah, step away from the car. Um, you know, I, the timing's right to talk about this a little bit. I can I can talk openly about certain things, and there's other things I can't because of the, the groups that I'm working with on trying to uh, implement uh, some of the new legislation that passed uh, in the last few weeks. Uh, obviously, you can figure out where that's at, and the litigation that's going on to try to block that. Um, the problem is, uh, politics plays a role in this. So with the new administration coming in, uh, there's probably more of a chance of, uh, government trying to, to regulate depending on, um, you know, who's, who gets their ear and how busy they are with other things. COVID will distract them for a, a good long period of time and, and other issues. But, uh, I don't really see that as a huge threat at this point in time, government coming down. I do see the opportunity to take what Massachusetts has done with not only the original right to repair, but with question one that passed uh, this go around regarding sharing the data. Um, I do see some opportunity there. The problem lies in that uh, if you talk to the the car guys, uh, which they, by the way, didn't bring into the conversation when they stitched that legislation together, didn't have anybody that had a clue as to how the vehicle works, how long the design uh, timeline is, uh, uh, what to ask for in particular. Just give us all, give, give us everything. You know, it's just, uh, they didn't put any brackets or description or, or boundaries or boundaries around it. So it's still an argument. Um, so if you ask the car guys, just tell us what you want. We can build that. That's yeah, that's not a problem. Just tell us so we can get it off our plate and go do something else. And then you talk to the, the, the leaders of these organizations and it's, oh my gosh, we're going to sue them because that's not right. And unfortunately I'll probably get in trouble for, for, sharing my, my views, but at the end of the day, who gets hurt? It's you, me, the technicians, and more importantly, the motoring public. Um, and it's all because uh, nobody sat down at the beginning of the conversation and defined what should be shared, but more importantly, what you as a shop owner would probably actually put into use. Um, and just, 
just as a side note, most of the uh, franchise dealers have had access to a lot of this data that uh, that these legislators want to uh, get access to and provide for us. They've had access to it for many years. Some of the manufacturers stopped giving it to them because they weren't using it. Right. Well, and, and you know, that brings up a valid point. Um, you know, and so my question to you is this. We, we've we got um, somebody who frequents my shop from time to time, and we were talking about it a while back, and he said, um, you know, his vision of it was is eventually the manufacturer may come in and say, hey, you have to be certified under us to access this specific data or access um, programming opportunities or whatever it is. And and he was saying that he thought that was a good way to ensure or secure that opportunity for us. And, and it would allow us to say, hey, listen, no, we've been through your program. You can't say we've been through your training. You can't say that we're not meeting your credentials. What do you think about something like that? Well, number one, they always don't have the bandwidth or the manpower to be able to pull that off. Um, right. So that's number one. If they, for some reason, were forced to do so or that that became a reality. Uh, I just, I think they'd struggle in getting it uh, pulled together because there's so much red tape and, and uh, government will get involved and, and bean counters will get involved, etc. I think the reality is that uh, as we try to implement uh, the new legislation, as we look at uh, the uh, probably the groundswell of consumer activity wanting uh, a measuring stick to judge their their technician or their service center by. I don't think that really exists to a large extent today, but it will as technology advances. I mean, today they they don't even know they've got adaptive cruise control or lane keep assist, uh, or they forgot they had it because they turned it off when they first got the car. Uh, but somewhere down the line, something's going to cause or create that incentive to want to know who's got their act together and who doesn't. In, in other words, I'm tired of taking my car to, to Joe down the street because every time I go see him, it's a thousand bucks. And then I have to take it to Lucas to get the car fixed. Um, so I think where that's probably, I, I can tell you where I'm trying to hurt all that. And that's towards uh, programs that we already have in place, whether it be through ETI or NASTEF and the vehicle security professional uh, path, there's systems in place to be able to to uh, qualify uh, a tech, uh, and that could include education. Uh, and number one, you've got to validate that that when Lucas calls and says that it's me, we got to be able to validate that it's truly you, Lucas, and not David that's calling on your behalf, right? So uh, we just got to make sure that from a security perspective that we we know who you are. From that point, then we can track everything and you know create a clearinghouse uh, of education, credentials, training, um, tools and equipment. Uh, you know, a secure gateway. We've got the ability to see who's connecting and uh, or what's connecting, and eventually who's behind the wheel of that that device. Uh, so all of that's going to be important because um, 
and probably more important to have it done through a neutral party, which the OEs are already a part of. I mean, they deal with ETI and NASDAQ on a daily basis, and they deal willingly. Uh, so why reinvent the wheel and create an adversarial uh, opportunity? Situation, yeah. Yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, we can do this if we just keep the the bigwigs over in the corner distracted. The engineers and the techs can get together, and we can figure this out pretty quickly. It seems to me that the manufacturers are just putting financial hurdles in the way and solely financial hurdles in the way. In other words, if you can't pay fee after fee after fee, then you're not getting any access regardless of your skill level, regardless of your tooling. And then that's it. Yeah. I I don't necessarily see just, just from the fact that you have to have a certain level of skill to get in and reprogram a module or to get in and do whatever you need to do. I think that keeps a lot of shops from even messing with it. Yeah, and so it just becomes expensive for an independent repair shop to be able to offer those services because you look at ADOS, it's $40,000 or whatever to put in an Autel device and you have to have the space for it. Meanwhile, the Ford dealership down the street from me is charging something like $130 to reprogram that. I can't charge $130 and put that kind of investment into my shop. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think that's an example of uh, early adoption uh, with new technologies without full disclosure of what really needs to to uh, be done to uh, appropriately service them. Um, I would tell you my approach to ADOS is is vastly different than it was three or four years ago. Um, and that's because uh, there are so many different business models around ADOS um, from the standpoint of especially calibration. And it depends on the market. It depends on your uh, geographic location. It depends on your demographics. Depends on the type of work you do. Uh, depends on who your customers are, uh, especially commercial customers. Um, and so there's there's a lot of variables in play now. And I would I would certainly approach buying equipment for ADUS differently today than I would have three years ago or four years ago. And that's just you know we've got all the equipment at the research center. It's we we. Uh, have all the equipment at all of our uh, partner uh, tech centers. And uh, we rarely use some of the equipment because we just don't need it. Our customer base uh, takes care of, for example, forward-facing cameras uh, are, you know, typically a windshield opportunity. And that's handled by the glass company that tends to service the majority of our customers. So we really don't use forward-facing targets. We've got radar reflectors uh, and, you know, a handful of those covers most everything. So that's the majority of the work. Now, being service ready and me being that service ready guy, uh, I would come back and slap myself upside the head and say, but what if you've got that one customer that comes in and you have to say no? You know, there's, there is that. So I, I think there's a lot of a lot of uh, 
risk that we take in early adoption of uh, either over or under equipping ourselves or over or under educating ourselves. And the problem with ADOS is not that you made the wrong decision or the right decision. It's that you're dealing with um, a group of systems that do not have a standard. I, I relate ADOS to OBD without a standard. Nobody wrote a set of rules. That To quote my, one of my best friends in the industry, Bob Augustine, ADOS is not a thing. <laughs> ADOS is just a group of nodes on a network that do things that when you combine them together with deep learning and machine learning and, and uh, uh, artificial intelligence, we can protect the consumer. And that's where all the growth is going to be in the next five to 10 years is around that AI and machine learning. But, you know, and the car is going to get awfully smart. And where this calibration goes, who knows? I get 13 different uh, predictions from 13 different engineers. But um, at the end of the day, uh, when you adopt early, there's a lot of risk in that, especially when there were no standards set for the system that you're trying to service. Well, we'll set ADOS aside. Look, look at what uh, FCA did with the additional charge to be able to program modules. Yep. What's keeping the other manufacturers from doing that and saying, well, if you take it down to the dealership, we can program any module on the vehicle for whatever, the, an hour's charge, $130, $140, whatever it happens to be. But for you, independent repair shop, to get in there, we're going to charge you a base fee of $75 plus $65 per module, plus you have to have this uh, this certification or whatever we want to add to make it uncompetitive for me as an independent repair shop to program modules. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it it, it is... Uh... Because I don't think they'll ever go to the government. I don't think they'll ever go and say, hey, we need to set regulations to keep these independent repair shops from getting into the modules. They're not getting involved with the government. They'll, they'll stay out of it. What they are going to do is start slapping charges on everything. And you're 100% right. And there's nothing that uh, the charter of somebody like NASTEF or anybody else can do about that because that's, you know, that's, that's a business decision. And... Uh, but uh, the purpose of um, the the right to repair, the original right to repair uh, legislation and the MOU uh, that was passed in, believe it or not, eight years ago already, is finally resulting in technology that allows the aftermarket to have access to do that without having to purchase all the subscriptions. It's you, It flattens the the hill, if you will, you're going to have those spiky things like, you know, Fiat and Chrysler come up with. Uh, but you're also going to be faced with things like Ford trying to activate a new module in an ATIS uh, system requiring an LSID to be able to to program, to log in and, and activate it uh, because of security. So uh, I, I think that that battle, uh, while it's something that we tend to want to stand up and fight, I think we're probably better served with trying to out-service uh, and uh, provide better customer service to the motorists than 
the factory dealer does. Uh, I think we serve ourselves better in that light. But you can see an independent repair shop's argument, though, right? Oh, sure. I mean, they can say, we're going to outservice the dealership, and a lot of them do. I think in most cases, they do. But what a, a shop that's trying to be profitable isn't going to look to expand their services into something that has essentially the dealership or the, the manufacturer has made impossible to be profitable on, or at least competitive. You can be profitable on it, but as soon as that customer finds out that that program was half the cost at the dealer, they're going to wonder why they bothered. You know, it's going to get, say what you want about service level, you still don't want to pay double or triple. Yeah, well, I think that that makes the case for technology as a service. Um, I think that's uh, the next uh, path that you're going to see uh, profits head up. It's already doing so in the industry. And that's uh, because that uh, technology, the ability to compete, uh, the hoops you have to jump through, the education and skill set that you have to continue to um, uh, foster and grow within that, that technician or group of techs is so expensive to be able to compete, you need to flatten that, that cost out. And so technology as a, as a service becomes um, more viable in, in that you just have the technology in the building that allows uh, one of your techs to, to plug that in and, and let somebody else program it for a flat fee while they're profitable on another job in the shop. Isn't that going to dumb down the industry though? It probably will to a certain extent, but that's not at the level that's below where the top tech is today because the technology is going to continue to advance. Uh, the technology is getting uh, such uh, for the next five to 10 years that the car doesn't change much between now and, and 2030. Um, the the automobile that you'll see coming off the showroom floor will have some funky looking bodies on on them and etc. But the technology under the hood is going to be exactly what you see today with uh, some avenue of or some technology such as uh, uh, digital short range radar and or some other Wi-Fi technology that allows uh, the vehicle to be optimized by uh, the Internet of Things. And it's, it's controlling that vehicle's performance, uh, path, uh, navigation, things of that nature in the, in the traffic flow is where they're going to get their improvements in fuel economy and emissions, uh, which means that the text that we have today uh, have the ability to essentially work on the vehicles that we see coming in the building today, doing the same things to them, and all the other high-end technology can be taken care of by, uh, you know, technology as a service. Well, you know, so you bring up some really valid points, and and one of the things that that makes me kind of think about here is maybe the best way to ask this question is is my techs come into the shop two or three times a day sometimes and they'll say hey boss man i've gone to the nastiff website i've gone to this website i've gone to that website i have looked everywhere i don't know what i need to program this car 
I don't know what where which website do uh, I go to? Mouse. What do I click on when I need to do this? What can you help me understand? How, which software do I need to to purchase? Well, I right? think that's what he's saying, though. I think it's going to be technology as a service, and that'll get rid of all of that. But the problem is, I, I I read a help wanted ad from a shop that took pride in developing top tier technicians. A, I can do it. I can do it all. I can do absolutely anything, as long as I have access to information. I have the ability to do whatever needs to be done. And he almost spoke disparagingly about shops that focused on, quote unquote, gravy work. I'm just going to do breaks. I'm just going to do suspension, and the more difficult things. I'm just going to leave it to uh, Opus or a company like that who can just hook up. Uh, I can hook up a machine to the vehicle and they'll let me know what part I need to replace or whatever. Right. So he, he wanted to differentiate himself from those type of shops. Is he a dinosaur then at this point? No, I think, I think one of the things that, that you can use uh, technology as a service to, uh, to your advantage is to use that to bridge uh, the skill set or the skill gap and the knowledge gap that you might have. You might have that, and he probably does or thinks he has that, and kudos to him, that that quality tech that he believes in and invests in. And that tech, like yours, Lucas, is still going to come uh, to the front at times and say, man, I'm, I'm stumped on this one. I cannot find and sometimes they wait way too long, right? They wait until they've right. been on safari oh, for half the day before they ask for that help. But uh, it's that technology as a service that whatever, you know, whether it's an Opus or a Matt Scundrich, you know, you don't have a Matt in every every shop that eats, breathes J2534 reprogramming. Uh, so you lean on that technology to help you with that vehicle and use it as a learning environment, engage with that technology as a service in a way that teaches you how to overcome your knowledge gap and your skill gap for that application so that the next time that application comes in, you don't have to make that call. You can perform that uh, service on your own and keep 100% of the profit uh, in your pocket. And that's the pitch. Like when they come in and they try to sell you, you know, something like a Drive Pro, that's the pitch. They're like, hey, I understand you want to have top tier technicians, but let us be uh, your helper in those situations where you get stuck or the website doesn't make any sense. Like most most websites, they don't make any sense. There's no rhyme or reason to programming module, right? But you look at the financial incentive for a shop to even bother hiring a technician that has those capabilities or can grow into those capabilities. There is none. If we rely solely or the model is going to technology as a service, it's going to be, I'm going to find the cheapest guy who can competently do whatever the guy on the other side of that scanner tells him to do. And that's it. So if I can pick up that guy for $18 an hour and not to pay this other guy who's got the ability to grow into that $35, $40, $50 an hour, I'm going to take the $18 guy 
and make the spread. The The financial incentive is to avoid developing your people. Is that healthy for the industry? What do you think? It's a, it's to avoid developing your people to the level, to the complex level yeah, that yeah. is required uh, for those technologies. Now, as that technology grows, uh, I think you're you're looking at a window of of opportunity or challenge in the industry with things like ADOS and things like uh, reprogramming, uh, because. Uh, be honest with yourself in 10 years, uh, reprogramming mod- vehicles from about 2021, 22 and newer are going to be done over the air. For sure. Yeah, we won't even have the opportunity. It'll be done as just like your Windows computer updates itself on a daily basis. Um, and and that's where the technology is absolutely heading. Um, and, and also keep in mind when you're talking to anybody that um, is offering a technology as a service, they're they're paying, you know, skilled labor on their end, and those guys aren't they're not flat rate, they're salaried, so they're trying to sell you a subscription that uh, doesn't uh, doesn't include unlimited hours of contact with a handful of those guys. They're hoping that you learn from every one of those experiences so that they can uh, scale that group of, of techs and talent uh, to a wider group of subscribers. So at That's the end of the point. day, yeah. So at the end of the day, they would love to help you learn how to do it and take some extra time to help you do that. So they don't have to help you. They can go help somebody else, and that same person can do that. And they don't have to add uh, butts in the seat at the call center to be able to support that. That's very, very yeah, and valid And that's, point. I can tell you, uh, personal experience, that's the way they think. It's scaling that so that they can service more people with, with the same group. So that being said, where do we go? You know, I've got an apprentice in the shop, right? And she, she's in a college program right now. She's really excited about learning the trade. Where do, we, where do we focus our energy with these new technicians coming into the field? Where do we focus that training energy? Because, you know, and, and I'm so thankful for the CTI training website because it gives me some tools. It gives me an avenue on where I can get them started training. You know what I mean? Because for me, it's really difficult to say, okay, um, uh, just go to that class, right? Pick up this book and read it. Where do we start? And and so where do you see the pathway going when it comes to training my new technician, my new apprentice that's coming into the field? What direction do we lead them? Do we look where their strengths are and train them in that direction? Do we move them in a direction where we're saying, hey, look, uh, the industry is changing. We need to move you over here. What do you recommend a shop owner does when it comes to training their people? Well, you know, do we have another couple hours? Um, <laughs> this, this is, this is what I think about twenty four seven. One is uh, our our focus today at CTI is to simplify, 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 and that means make it easier for you as a shop owner to 
find that answer to the question you just asked and make it easy for your techs to access and uh, gain knowledge and skill from that content. Um, so look for that to, you know, our existing content to be modified and uh, the process to be uh, simplified to the point where, Lucas, when you hire an apprentice, you'll go to, you know, a specific job role that you assign to them and everything is taken care of. That, I mean, they'll have everything in front of them that they need and you'll That's be able awesome. to see their progress. Uh, the second thing is, is that the, the secret sauce that we've been searching for for years, I get asked all the time, do you have a technical assessment? Do you have a technician assessment that we can give our people uh, so we know what they don't know? And for many years, we used to give a hundred question test on systems bumper to bumper on the vehicle and come away with different terms uh, like prescriptive training, uh, where based on the answers that they gave and the, the gaps that we identify, we're going to prescribe this training instead of, oh, you suck at brakes, so you're going to have to take all the brake training that we have so we can make sure that we bridge that one piece of information that you really struggled with, which is stupid. That's That's that uh, outcome-based education model. You've probably seen my slide a couple years ago with the the uh, uh, the monkey, the hippopotamus, the alligator, the dog, you know, uh, all sitting in front of the, the teacher, the elephant, and the elephant says, okay, today we're going to take a test. And to pass that test, you have to climb the tree. And the monkey's sitting in the tree going, this is cool. And everybody else is going, well, I'm screwed. And it's, it's trying to measure everybody the same way. So what we're working towards, and uh, we're in the process of doing some pilot work right now, um, Anthony Williams is working on a project uh, that deals with adaptive learning. And adaptive learning is uh, really taking the content that is, is in our catalog, and uh, a series of assessment tests or quizzes or knowledge uh, checks within each of those. And based on your response to early content or early assessment uh, assessments, uh, the algorithm that they use will point you and assign you automatically a short micro learning module that bridges the gap that they've identified. Not the whole class, but Lucas, you suck at HydroBoost. So we're going to give you a HydroBoost class as if you care, but you get my gist. So we, we take a rifle and shoot the problem rather than, you know, put birdshot in the 12 gauge and, and shoot everybody in the room. Um, and so that's really where education has got to get to and where our focus is, is trying to get to the point where we know where your gaps are. But instead of measuring just knowledge, we want to get to the point where we're measuring uh, skill and proving skill. So COVID, I mentioned earlier that COVID, you know, being 
a good thing for us in that uh, we're using the virtual classroom piece now uh, morning, noon, and night. Um, so, for example, we are uh, working with a large uh, strategic account uh, doing two-hour sessions during the day around lunchtime and doing those a couple times a week for groups growing their skills in a certain discipline, a certain area of the vehicle, let's say brakes or air conditioning. And those will be followed with hands-on live demonstration uh, when we're able to go face-to-face. -to -face. Today, they'll be done with uh, by a mentor in the shop with a guidance from uh, skill sheets is what we call them, or skill forms uh, that are sent to the mentor to guide you, Lucas, on walking your apprentice tech through this skill, making sure that they can perform that skill. Watch them do it. Correct them uh, if they make mistakes. Have them practice that and then come back with a proof of skill event where we make appointments in, in those locations. They come in for the day and we apply um, a uh, an oral examination, and if they pass that, a practical examination. They've got to demonstrate that they can actually perform the skill. So in an ATIS situation, you'd have to actually calibrate a vehicle. Or in a brake situation, they actually have to perform all the steps in a brake service, including getting the dial indicator out and doing lateral run out. So then we know, we know they understand the knowledge. We're only giving them remedial to help them bridge the gaps of knowledge that they have instead of re-immersing them in the same swamp that they were in in vocational school and discouraging them and disenfranchising them. And then we help them apply it, see it in action, and then practice it. And then when you're confident and ready, come back and prove that you can do it and prove that you can say it. Saying it, just to be able to orally define what a voltage drop test is for most technicians would be an astonishing accomplishment for this industry, let alone just do the, yes, the practical, absolutely. the hands-on. Um, because most instructors can't define voltage drop. Uh, so that's the plan. It, will that happen in 21? No. I mean, it's going to take us a couple of years to get this thing uh, launched and rolled out, but that's that's where the industry needs to head is taking the opportunity that people will join you virtually and see the value in it. As long as you're engaging enough, uh, today's pilot event with this group was probably, I guess it was yesterday's event was probably the most engaging group of people we've had on a virtual event since the pandemic started. It astonished me. And if we can get them engaged at that, then we can focus our travel expense, our instructor expense, our facility expense on watching them do it instead of bloviating in their face at seven o'clock at night. Right. And, and you know, uh, th that's huge for me 
right? Because you know how how hardcore I've harped on this whole uh, nighttime training thing. So that that's huge. And I think that is absolutely fantastic because I think for so long, shop owners have always looked at it and they've said, well, you, you know, I've got to have this guy turn in a profit, right? I, I'm paying him. I've got to be generating revenue. And, and the problem is, is that we're constantly looking for the technician who can come in and do everything we need them to do. And, and there's fewer and fewer of those technicians available today. And I think it's sad that we're not looking. And, and I, I made a post a while back where I was mentioning, hey, listen, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, apprentices or mention to somebody, hey, what about an apprentice? And they're like, I would never hire an apprentice. Why? Well, they mess up this, they mess up that. So you're telling me you brought this person in and you threw him on a car. You know, Rick, I, I may have told you this before. Rick told me one time, he said, uh, do you know how you train people? And I said, what do you mean? He said, do you know how you personally train people? And I said, uh, no. He said, you, you take them to the edge of the dock, you kick them off, you pull the ladder out and you say, hope you can swim as you walk away. Uh, you know, and I said, wow, our whole industry does that, you know? As uh, Mitch Snyder used to say, or still says, we're the only industry that eats its young. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we have to take ownership of of that. We also have to recognize, and you mentioned this early in your comment, uh, Lucas, is that uh, the days of being a general practitioner are coming to a close. Um, you can be a general practitioner on the traditional services to a certain extent, but even those maintenance services are becoming complex, requiring uh, reading and comprehension skills that are far beyond what uh, most of the of the techs that really want to focus on that are doing. Um, those processes and, and procedures are uh, getting pretty uh, technical and critical. You've got uh, you know, just simple things like torque deal bolts all over the vehicle and not recognizing that, you know, hammering on it with a half inch impact and banging it back on is not quite the right thing to do. Uh, and so it's those types of things as as we try to grow talent is we need to find what uh, services we need those skills for. And what gaps, what skill gaps do we not have in our inventory in our in our shop? And we need to hire for and grow that skill. And if we've got enough work, uh, typically, instead of giving a tech one car and they work the ticket from top to bottom, uh, we've got to start thinking about uh, divvying that, that vehicle up. It moves from one maintenance tech to... Uh, you know, a tech that has good electronic skills to if you've got that Matt Scundrich guy or, you know, the guy that understands reprogramming and you know you've got that sort of situation going on, you you let them handle that side of it and then let somebody else do the hard work, let them triage the vehicle and diagnose and, and keep them busy doing that. So getting into a specialty side of, of things within a general shop is something I think uh, we need to start thinking about. Yeah. And, and that's a very valid point. I, I, for me, I think it's dispatching to strengths, right? And I, I think for so long, we had this idea that we were going to bring in this ATEC, right? In ASOG, I'm sure both of you have seen it. Um, you know, I'm looking for an ATEC, 
okay, what are you going to do with him when you have him? Well, you know, I need him to fix everything. I need him to, to do the brakes. I need him to do the oil services. I need him. The problem is, is to pay this gentleman or lady fairly. You are not going to have them doing oil services and tires, right? It's not reasonable. You can't be profitable doing it. So if we're not dispatching to strengths, we've kind of missed our own bar, but, but David talks about this all the time. You know, it seems like every shop wants a shop full of Atex. It doesn't do you any good if you can't afford them and if you can't keep them busy. Yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, the Atex is, uh, you know, probably your most overworked, uh, highest investment, highest dollar investment, least productive guy in the shop. Uh, in That's a traditional it. shop, and really, if you if you manage his skills appropriately, uh, he can generate the most work in the shop, but perform the most the the least number of hours of work, of billable hours, um, simply by leveraging their knowledge, their experience, their process, uh, their strategic approach to to solving problems, and letting the guys that don't have those skills perform the repair. I mean, the repair is the easy part of, until you get to things like David, uh, you know, was talking about uh, when we're trying to reprogram and, and it's the, the update of the week club with Ford. Uh, I mean, if Ford <laughs> could screw up, uh, you know, uh, reprogramming any worse than they're doing it today, I just can't imagine how bad that would be. But It's about as good as their vehicles. That's fine. <laughs> it's used to be uh, found on road dead but that fit or fix or repair daily now it's fix or reprogram daily but um yeah it's 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 a challenge uh and it's it's not just a challenge for just keep in mind it's not just a challenge for us in the aftermarket that those same changes are going into the dealer and those poor guys that are getting paid flat rate at the dealer are getting hammered just as well uh, with that. Now they, you know, they've got things they can fall back on. They got a tech support group as well, but those things, uh, you know, those things are available in the aftermarket as well. We just have to fight. Uh, you know, it's a lot like politics. We just have to learn to fight, um, fight for what we should have access to fight for uh, the, uh, tools and equipment and information that we need to be able to, to compete. And then we have to be innovative in how we apply that. And we have to out, outsmart them, out innovate them. And when I talk about innovation, I'm talking about how can we manage our customers' experience and time better than they can. Uh, now, time used to be a bigger deal. I sit here at the house in my office you know, since March 13th. And before that time was a significant issue for me. Now, I, I hate to take vacation because I feel like I've been on vacation because I work when I'm on vacation anyway. So I'm just, you know, I'm at home. So how do we manage that for the consumer? How do we take the, bring them the convenience uh, touches that they're looking for in their lives uh, by not having to think about auto repair, because whether we like it or not, they didn't get up this morning thinking, man, I got a thousand dollars in the bank and David took that thousand dollars last time I had it. I think I'll call David up 
uh, and go give it to them, they don't want to come see us. And they don't care about the technology on their car. They really don't. Um, they just want it to start and get to where they're going at the end of the day. A means to an end. Uh, do you think, and, and, and I know you're involved with lots of these people. I'm not going to put you on the spot. Yeah, I am. Uh, do you think that many of these organizations, and this is a, this is a question I've asked in every single episode. So don't feel singled out. Do you feel like we've missed the bar when it comes to a lot of these organizations, be it local organizations, be it national organizations, on unifying our industry and getting us moving in a direction. Do you think that, that maybe we've not gone in the direction we should have and nobody's really kind of unified us and said, okay, everybody, let's get in the bus and go this way. I, I do. Uh, Lucas, I, I think about it every day. I, I uh, had a conversation. In fact, I have a, a tremendous uh, concern uh, regarding my side of the business today uh, with respect to uh, those organizations and associations trying to survive in a pandemic where they can't uh, hold their conferences, which are a typically a, a revenue generating opportunity for them. Uh, and instead they're, they're either coming together or not and holding their own virtual event. And initially we looked at the virtual events in support of, of those as an opportunity for us to do fewer events than we, than we do during a year face to face. It would, it would shock you at how much money uh, we spend in support of associations annually in providing uh, trainers for those events. Uh, it's it's uh, a pretty doggone good uh, top line for a big shop. And because of that, uh, because of the ease of which they're finding that they can put these together and the cost is low and they can generate some revenue, now I've got more work to do to try to do those. And so when I talk about the association, I think associations have a great place in our industry, but they need to come together with a common goal of serving the industry rather than they tend to silo what they're doing and have their pet project. And it's not just associations, it's other groups as well that they have these projects that they're using to, you know, solve the technician shortage or, you know, solve the technology issues or uh, bring the OEMs to the table or whatever. And when you try to come together, bring them to your group and share ideas, it's, oh, no, you can't you can't join and play with us because that's our baby and we're going to do this on our own. Right. And I thought. I thought, what year was it that we launched Road to Great Technicians at Vision? It was probably 20, I want to say 2013, 2014, somewhere in there. It may be earlier than that. Um, and we had about eight or nine people. It was at the NASTEF uh, Spring Conference, and we had about eight or nine people from industry talk about what they thought the problem was. 
as far as technician shortage. And I was asked to wrap a bow around all of that. And I, I can remember challenging everybody in the room to, uh, to take off your name plate, take off your rank, take off your logoed shirt, leave it at the door, come sit down at one table and let's solve this thing. We can work together to solve this. It's, it's exactly why uh, the military debriefs after a mission. That's why they have their, their rank and their names on Velcro on their, on their uniforms. They rip it off and they throw it in the middle of the table. If you've ever watched that. And it's, we need to do the same thing in this industry. And that is put the pride aside, put the pride of ownership aside. Let's let's try to find all the people that we need to have at the table and come to the table with the the goal of uh, uniting to serve the industry, not our association or our group. And that's hard to do. It's so hard. We've had good traction a couple, three or four times since then, but it tends to fall apart because the people that are leading that charge, that are investing their time and efforts into that, have day jobs and they get busy. And you end up with that, uh, we whip the horse that pulls syndrome by making those folks do all the work and they can't do all the work. It has to be everybody that's in a leadership position that comes to the table and commits to that. And so that's a challenge in the industry. I don't know that I'll ever see it in, in my career. I've got about five more years that I'm going to do this. Um, I'm not going to quit fighting for that. Uh, but we have to, to, to help the aftermarket uh, not just survive, we'll survive, but to to survive in a way that's meaningful and profitable and valuable to the motorists that we serve today and not, not watch that churn itself into, you have to take it to the dealer because we're not allowed to do that. I don't see that happening. I see it going the other way. Well, you know, I, I remember you saying something at one point and I'll, I'll never forget this because I always had this perspective of, of part vendors or um training companies and and i always looked at them like you know we're on an island away from them and i heard you say something one time that really changed my perspective you said um my job is not just serving you but but my real job is serving your customer serving your client i serve the end user and that's through training you that's through providing great parts that's you know and and i think that's something that we miss all too often is we're in this together we're all in the same damn boat and i i think it's so easy for us to lose that perspective that that you guys are really out there fighting for us you're out there fighting for the shop owners you're out there doing work to make sure that we have a way to train our people and and for one i want you to know that we appreciate it i know a lot of folks in asog really appreciate it what are the three or four things that you would say to a shop owner as we close this up tonight? What are the three or four things you would really want a shop owner to know? What What's something that could change the life of a shop owner today if they would just take one or two actions? What would those be? Well, you know, that there's probably a number of them. Uh, the, the statement I make and the, the challenge that I have for my team is, and that's not just my, my training team, but anybody that I influence, 
uh, in the company is our job is to take exceptional care, help you take exceptional care of your customer. Uh, it, they're the ones with money in the checkbook that provide a living for all of us in this industry. And so we have to keep that in mind. The first thing I would, would tell a shop owner is to get involved and stay involved. Uh, you can't expect things to change by sitting in your shop complaining about it or poo-pooing an article in a trade magazine or not, worse yet, not even picking up a trade mag or belonging to a group, Facebook group such as ASOG uh, and getting involved. Talk to your peers, uh, voice your opinion, listen a lot. God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. Um, the second thing I would do is uh, to tell shop owners is to invest in your people. Um, and it's not just training either. Training is a big part of it. Obviously, I'm passionate about that. But invest in your people in the way of responsibility. Involve them in your shop meetings. And for God, if you don't have shop meetings, have shop meetings. Get help. Get a coach. Oh, you know, but... Assuming you have meetings with your people, let them participate. Let them uh, be engaged in that. Listen to your your people. Most of your technicians that are that you employ have been in the business for a while, and they may have worked for three or four different employers, and they may have seen some things that work and don't. And you may not have seen what they've experienced. Don't don't set that experience aside. There's tons of experience there. And then the third thing I would would offer is when you're dealing with your supplier, and I'll speak to, to my company because I know them, challenge the person you deal with on a daily basis. If it's one of our commercial account managers, the CAMs, if it's the general manager at the store, whoever it is, involve them in your business. Make them an integral part of your business plan and your meetings and your strategies. Make them uh, an integral part of uh, implementing and putting that into action and hold them accountable to that. Uh, they should be a partner. They shouldn't be just the store you go to to buy spark plugs. Uh, if they are, then you should be buying them online because you can probably get them a hell of a lot cheaper. Uh, it's we everybody sells car parts. It's who is invested in you and your business in a way that helps you take care of the of the motors that trust their vehicle with you, and you do such a good job that they come back and do it again. Because if they do, and we take care of you you might come buy a part from us and right. we might all survive this thing. So those are the three things that I'd focus on. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast for our all access patrons. We will have the second half of our conversation with Chris Chesney as bonus content. So if you're not already, make sure you become a patron to catch that extra content. If you're listening to this on Apple podcasts, leave us a review it helps spread the word. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, or if you have any topic suggestions, please reach out to me via email. My email address is 
david at asog.site. That's D-A-V-I-D at A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Until next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Before I let you go, I need to ask you a question. Are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country? If you doubt that you are, why are you making your life harder? Shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean, easy-to-use program unlike anything else on the market. Go to GetShopware.com and see what I mean today. That's GetShopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.